Looking at the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, we'll be learning how to be fresh in our faith and stay faithful in our relationship with God. This message is the 10th in the series, Fresh. The message is entitled, Fresh Faithfulness. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Here's what I want you to do. You've got about 90 seconds, 60 to 90 seconds here. What I want you to do is I want you to write down right now on this piece of paper your current responsibilities and opportunities. What responsibilities and opportunities do you have in your life right now? And they say, what do you mean by that? Well, if you're a husband or a, or a wife, you have spouse responsibilities. If you are a parent, you have child-rearing responsibilities. If you have a job, you have a particular responsibility in your job, maybe your position, description, what you do there. Whatever your responsibilities and or opportunities are in life right now, I want you to write them down on this piece of paper. If you're a student going to school, write that down. Whatever it is that is on your, on your radar right now as being something that you do with your life that occupies your time and your attention, just go ahead and write it down. Again, you've got about Another 60 seconds or so that we're going to take to do this. You'll not be able to get everything written down in that time, but at least get the process started because this will be helpful to you in today's message. A few more moments here. Jot down as quickly as you can everything you can think of. Once you finish writing uh, what you want to write for this moment, if you'll look up this way so that I'll know uh, that you've completed that, we'll kind of get a reading on where we are with the group here together. And uh, same in Frederick, just look up whenever you're done, and we'll get a sense of where to start here in just a moment. Excellent. Looks like most of you are done. So take that piece of paper and fold it up and put it somewhere. This, by the way, no one else is going to see this. I should have told you that a moment ago. Nobody else will see this. This is just for your eyes only, okay? But fold it up. Put it somewhere that you can retrieve in about 30 minutes. So about 30 minutes from now, you're going to pull this back out again. It'll be a part of today's message. I want to talk to you in this series we're involved in called Fresh. I want to talk to you this weekend about fresh faithfulness in your life. What does it mean to be fresh in your faithfulness? There's no way that your life can maintain freshness without faithfulness. If you're not faithful, you're going to grow stale. You're going to kind of dry up on the inside. And when we talk about the word faithfulness, there are a lot of different definitions for it, a lot of different ideas that people have regarding what faithfulness is. So I thought the best thing that I could do this weekend is to take you to the words of Jesus himself, where Jesus defines faithfulness for us. And it's found in Matthew chapter 25. And in fact, Jesus gives us the definitive answer regarding what faithfulness is in his kingdom and from his perspective. Matthew chapter 25, I'm actually going to read verses 14 through 30, and uh, I'll read them slowly. I want these words to absorb deeply into your spirit today. I will ask you to underline some words and phrases as we go through this that we will highlight as a part of our teaching time. This is a parable. The word parable means a teaching that comes alongside of, a story, an illustration that is put beside a principle to help us understand the principle better. And so Jesus tells a story. He gives us a parable. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, or the old translation says five talents, five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Would you underline that phrase? Each according to his ability. Then he went on a journey. 
The man who had received five bags of gold or five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained, circle the word gained there, gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained, again circle the word gained, two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful. There's a key word, faithful servant. You have been faithful. So again, Jesus hones in this parable on what faithfulness is all about. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Or a better translation there is your master's joy. The man with two bags of gold came. Also came, Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness or your master's joy. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid, circle that phrase, I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This parable really is a parable about the kingdom of God. There is a master, a king if you will. And there are servants, there are subjects of the kingdom. So it's a story about the kingdom of God. It's about how God views the operation of his kingdom and also gives us instruction in terms of how we are to live in the kingdom of God. What does God expect of us? How does he want us to live? And in this story, there is something that is said by the king or by the master to the servants. There is something that is given by the king to the servants, by the master of the king to the servants. There's something unspoken, but nevertheless implied and expected from the servants on the basis of what the, the master or the king does. There's something that each of these three servants will do, actions that they will take. There's something that is measured by the king when he returns, and there are rewards that are given. So there's all these different elements to this particular story. And I would encourage you to take some time and to read this again on your own and to look at all the different angles, all the different elements of what's going on in this beautiful parable. But what I'm going to do today is hone in on one particular thing I want to talk to you about what this parable teaches us regarding faithfulness. What is faithfulness all about in the kingdom of God? 
I was stirred by a message that I heard several months ago along this pathway and uh, from this passage of Scripture. And as I began to meditate, it, meditate on it myself, I felt like God began to open it up for my own life and open it up. I shared it actually with the staff here at our church. And I want it to be something that is imparted to you today. I want to give you 10 principles or 10 things that you need to understand about faithfulness the way Jesus measures it. The first thing we learn from this parable, the parable teaches us that you and I, we are gifted people. Every person here has been given gifts and talents by God. You've been given opportunities by God. You are gifted. Now, that's extremely important because there are a lot of things and messages that come our way and things that will happen to us in our life journey that will deflate our sense of value. But today, what I want you to know is that God valued you enough to place inside of you a set of gifts. You are gifted. In fact, I want you to say with me today, I am gifted. Say it together. I am gifted. Now, to say that is not to be arrogant. You can say, I am gifted, and not be prideful, because your gift, as we'll talk about in a moment, is something that came from God anyway, and so you didn't earn that gift. It's not anything really about you anyway, but you simply say, I'm acknowledging the fact that there's been a gift or gifts that have been imparted to, be, to me by God. So once again, say with me, I am gifted together. Here we go. I am gifted. Turn to your neighbor and say, and you are too. Go ahead and tell them, you are too. The Bible says that to these three people, these three servants, the master came and he gave gifts to each one of them. Nobody was left out. So maybe you think, I've been left out. I don't have any gifts. Not true. You are a gifted person. The second thing we learn from this story is that everyone's gifting is different. The Bible says that the master, the king, gave to one man five bags of gold or five talents. To another he gave two, and to another he gave one. And so there is the distribution of gifts. Who made the choice in terms of how many gifts would be given and who would receive such gifts? The master did. It was not the choice of the servants. It was the choice of the master. And so we must always remember that, yes, you have a gift set, and gifting is not your business. Gifting is God's business. God gets to choose who's, who receives what gifts. And so your gifts, you've been divinely chosen by God for the gift set that you have. The Bible says that your gifts have been given to you each according to his own ability. God gave you a set of gifts. And the beautiful thing is you are only accountable for your gifts. You're not accountable for anybody else's gifts. That's why you should never waste any kind of psychological time or emotional time comparing your gift set with anybody else's gift set, it's a waste of time. All it does is drain you and destroy you internally. Because when you compare yourself with other, other people, one of two bad things is going to happen. Number one, you're going to feel worse about yourself than you should feel. Or second of all, you're going to feel better about yourself than you should feel. Because you'll look at them and say, oh, look at me, I'm really gifted. Or look at me, I'm not as gifted. And so it puts you either in the atmosphere of pride and arrogance or it puts you down to an atmosphere of diminishing what God has put into your life. And so to make this under, come to this understanding that, yes, I am gifted, but my giftings are different. God made you. God created you. And in the DNA of your structure, God, as you are being woven together in your mother's womb. See, understand something. You are not an accident. God formed you on purpose, and he formed you according to abilities and gifts that have been established in you. And yes, you're different, and your gift set is different, but that's a good thing. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Number three, 
The third truth today is that while our gifts differ, we all have the same opportunity to do something with what we've been given. I want to read that again and then we'll talk about why this is important for us to grasp. While our gifts are different, there's something that is similar in all of us. We all have the same opportunity to do something with what we've been given. Now, on the surface, someone might disagree with that. Someone might say, well, not everybody has the same opportunity. Some folks seem to have more opportunity than others. And again, looking at it from an external perspective, that may be true or appear to be true. For example, someone that is born into privilege. It would seem as though maybe if they're born into a very wealthy family and very great opportunities seem to be before them, you would think, well, they have more opportunities than someone born maybe in poverty, a very difficult set of circumstances. And it is true if you measure opportunity on the basis of external things. But I want you to move today with me from the external to the internal. I want you to think beyond just external opportunity and understand something. Opportunity is really what you make of what you've been given. See, you can be privileged and have a lot of great, if you will, external opportunities in your life and completely waste it. I've known people, I've been in the pastoral ministry and ministry over 37 years, going on 38 years now. I've seen a lot of people in a lot of set of circumstances. I've met some people who've been very privileged in their life and they did nothing with what they'd given, they've been given. They actually wasted it away. And on the other side of the coin, I've seen people who came from very, very impoverished circumstances, challenging situations but something inside of them said, you know what, I may not have much, but I'm going to do something with what I've got. I may not have very much. I may not have as much externally as that person does, but I'm going to take the seed of what's been given to me and something on the inside says, I'm going to do with what's been given to me. I'm going to make it work in my life. See, opportunity is not about the external. Opportunity is about, about the internal. Opportunity is about your character. It's about what you take with what's, what, you, what you've received in life and what you do with it. The fourth thing to understand from this parable is that your gifting and opportunities come with something. They come with expectations and accountability. When God gave you gifts and when He gives you opportunities, it always comes with some expectations and also comes with some accountability. Expectations. The king... The master in the story had some expectations of these servants. We're going to talk more about these expectations in a moment. They were unstated expectations, but they were very real. But there was also accountability. See, the, the, the king said to the servants this. He said, I'm going to give you five talents, five bags of gold. And, and sir, I'm going to give you two. And sir, over here, I'm going to give you one And I'm going to go away on a long journey, but I'm coming back. So he planted something in the minds of those three men that day. The thing they should have remembered, been fully aware of, was that the master was coming back. There would be a day when the master, having left them with those gifts and talents, that he would return. Now, he didn't tell them the day they were coming back. All he said is, I'm going on a long journey. But the expectation, the awareness is that he is going to return. There will be a time of accounting that will transpire. Does that sound familiar? Of course it does, because when Jesus from the Mount of Olives returned back to the right hand of God the Father, the the apostles were there looking up as Jesus ascended back up into the heavens, and there were two angels that said, why are you guys continuing to gaze up into the skies that Jesus, the same Jesus, he's going to come back again, 
just like he went away, he will return. And so there was the promise that day that our master is coming back again. If you haven't grasped this in your theology, let me help you today. Jesus is coming back again. There's going to be a day when the eastern sky, the Bible tells us the eastern sky is going to split. There's going to be the blast of a trumpet. There's going to be a sounding forth of the fact that Jesus Christ will come through those clouds once again. And the Bible says it very clearly. The dead in Christ will rise up first. And those of us who are alive when Jesus Christ comes back again will be caught together up in the air with him. And so shall we forever be with the Lord. It'll be an amazing day. The master is coming back. But understand something, when the master comes back, it will set in motion something that maybe you've never thought about. It's going to set in motion some accounting days. It'll set in motion the fact that we will stand before him and we will give an account for our lives. Now, the good news is this. You don't have to earn your way into heaven. Jesus earned it for you. Isn't that good to know? You have to do nothing to get into heaven except put your faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus paid the fare for you. He paid the penalty for your sins. And so we're not talking about getting to heaven. If you're not saved this morning, you need to be saved. How do you get saved from hell to heaven? Very simply, you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. He gives you something called grace. And that grace says, that's my ticket. He paid the price for me. Now I can go to heaven, not because of anything that I do, but because of everything that Jesus did. So I get to go and spend eternity with Jesus simply because of his work for me on the cross of Calvary and in his resurrection. I'm thankful for the grace of God that saves me. How about you? Amen. But God expects you to do something with the grace. See, you'll get into heaven by grace, but then he's going to hold you accountable for what you did with the grace that was given to you in terms of the kind of life you live in the context of that grace. We will all stand before God and give him, him, give him an account of our life. Now, this is something that a lot of people don't get. Not everybody, when you get to heaven, will hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. There were three servants. Two of them heard, well done. One didn't. I'm not talking about getting to heaven. But there will be Christians that will make it to heaven that nevertheless will not hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, because you're not going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, unless you've been faithful. You're not going to hear, well done, unless you've done well. If you haven't done well, you're not going to hear, well done. And so we have to find out what does it mean to do well? What does it mean to be faithful so that if you're like me, I want to make sure I hear those words when I'm standing before my Savior. How about you? I want to make sure that the grace he purchased for me on the cross of Calvary has not been spent on me in vain. I want to make sure that I've used my life to the greatest ability to accomplish the greatest I can for his kingdom. Right? Got it? Good. Now let's talk about the next point here. Very, very important. Number five. In this parable, the expectations of the king were not explicitly described or commanded, but instinct, the instinct to do something with what they had been given was expected. It's a lengthy statement, but let me read it again. The expectations of the king, that is what he expected, the master of the king, these expectations were not explicitly described. He didn't explain everything to them, nor did he explicitly command them about everything he wanted them to do. But the instinct, key word there, to do something with what they'd been given was still expected. In this story, you don't find the king telling 
these guys exactly what to do. All he said was, hey, you three fellows, come here. Would you three folks just step up right here for a moment? I'm sorry to pull you up, but I promise you, it's going to be a blessing to you, okay? Except for the one who gets the one, okay? Okay. The king said, okay, here's five. Here's two. Here's one. Sorry about that. <laughs> I know you're a good guy. You're, so, I'm going away. See you later. Did you notice that he didn't tell them what to do? He didn't tell them, okay, by the way, here's five. I expect when I come back, I want to see five more. I gave you two. I expect to see two more. And I gave you one. I expect to see. He didn't tell them that, did he? Are you all with me? All he said was, five, two, one, see ya, I gotta go. I'm gonna be back, see ya. No explicit instructions were given. Thank you very much. You can go back to your seat, okay? Give, they deserve a round of applause, okay? Thank you. What I want you to see is that some things in life are not gonna be explicitly told to you, but you're still responsible for getting it. Because when, they, when he came back, he still held them accountable for understanding what was implied. I'm giving you five, two, one. Now, I'm not going to tell you all the details. I expect you to do some thinking here. I expect you to apply something called wisdom. See, that's what wisdom is. Wisdom is not having to be told exactly what to do in every circumstance. So it doesn't take much if you come into a circumstance and somebody says, okay, do A, B, and C, and just obey this, you'll be, you'll be okay. Well, okay, I just do what I'm told. But wisdom is different. Wisdom is when you walk into any set of circumstances, and you may not be told exactly what to do, but by reason of experience, the study of God's Word, having the right people in your life, you've gained instincts, you've gained wisdom so you know how to operate in any environment and make decisions that are wise decisions even when you haven't exactly been told what to do. Because most of life, you're never going to find someone right there telling you exactly what to do. It's called instinct of wisdom. I've learned that this is extremely valuable in marriage. That when I walk into the house and I see that the kitchen is overflowing with dirty dishes and I walk over and I begin to wash the dishes and clean them up and I realize that the trash can needs to be taken out and I take the trash out and I notice that I've got some clothes lying that need to be picked up and the den needs to be straightened up and I just go in and do that by instinct without my wife asking me, it is a good day at my house. Why? Because after 37 years of marriage, I've gained a little bit of wisdom. Okay? It's wise when you walk in and you don't have to be told everything to do. You've figured it out that by instinct you've learned some things along the way. Oh, this is what a good husband would do. This is what's going to bring pleasure to my wife. This is what will take me to the next level. Not just doing what I'm told to do, but understanding there's more to life than what you're just being told to do. Amen? There's a whole lot more to life than just what you're being told to do. And so people who grow, people who expand in their life, they begin to gain wisdom and they embrace things beyond just what they're told to do. It's called wisdom. And so this is what happened for the servants. This is what the master required of them. Number six. I'll cover this one very quickly. You'll get it. A basic implied expectation 
is that you don't lessen or lose what you've been given to manage. Here's the basic thing, okay? What's the worst thing you can do with the gifts you've been given in life? What's the worst thing you can do? Just waste them, right? Lose them, waste them, okay? And there are people that they're just, I mean, they're, they come into life with, with great blessing, opportunity, and they waste it. They just never do anything with it. That's the worst way to live. Now, by the way, let me say something. I'm glad to announce to you that we have a Savior. If you've wasted your life away, that He's still able to redeem you. Isn't that good to know? No matter how much you've wasted your life away, He's able to take ashes and make something beautiful out of it. He's able to turn your life around. And so if you're here today and you feel like you've lived for 20 years or 30 years or 50 years or 90 years and you've wasted a bunch of it, don't feel like there's no hope for you. Yes, there's always hope for you. When you come to the Savior, you come to the cross, there's always a turnaround moment. You can become a new creation in Christ. All things pass away. Behold, all things become new. You can have a brand new beginning today. It can all start fresh for you. Isn't that good to know? But it's it's not good to live your life where you just waste things away. Let me tell you the next level of a bad life, an unwise, foolish life. It's just to hold on to what you got. Just to maintain, okay? The status quo, complacency. You know how many people are just living life complacent? Just get up today and do the same old thing, just sort of maintain and Kind of keep what I got going on here and never take any next adventures of, of steps of faith for the advancement and growth of my life. I never do any of those kinds. Of, so I, I live my life at a maintenance level. What about the third guy? He, gave, he received one bag of gold, one talent. What did he do with it? When the master came back, did he still have it? Did he? Yeah, he still had it, right? So what had he done for all that time while the master had been away? He maintained, right? He maintained what had been given. But nevertheless, what did the master say to him? You wicked, lazy servant. That maintenance is not a good way to live. And so I challenge you today, and this message is all about learning how to keep your life fresh. If you want your life to be fresh, as we're going to see in just a moment, you've got to, you've got to be on the grow. Not just on the go, but you have to be on the grow. There are a lot of people who are on the go, but they still aren't on the grow. Busy, 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 but are you growing? Let's go to the next point, number seven, I believe it is. The expectation that the king has for us, the expectation of the story was increase. That's what it was all about, how you grow what you've been given. What brought the praise of the master? You had five, now you have ten. Well done. You had two, now you have four. Well done. You had one and you didn't do anything with it? You didn't increase it? You didn't even get me interest? You didn't even put it in the bank and do something with it? You you wicked, lazy servant. And so the expectation was increased. God expects you to take whatever he's put into your life, your responsibilities, your opportunities, he expects there to be increased. You know what the first commandment in the Bible is? Most folks think the first commandment of the Bible is found in the Ten Commandments. But no, the first commandment of the Bible is found actually in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Listen to what it says. God blessed them, talking about Adam and Eve, and said to them, be fruitful and increase, multiply in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. See, God started out creation, started out Adam and Eve, putting them in the garden and saying, look, what I want from you is I want you to experience increase in your life. I want to see some multiplication from your life. I want to see your life growing. Number eight, the responsibility to increase or grow is ours. It's yours. 
you cannot pass on the responsibility to grow to anyone else. Your growth is not the responsibility of your spouse. It's not the responsibility of your parents. It's not the responsibility of your grandparents. It's not the responsibility of your friends. If you're going to grow, who's going to create growth in your life? You are. You're going to make the choice, I want to grow. This was a great day for me many years ago in pastoral ministry when I let go of my responsibility to make people grow. When I first started pastoring, I thought, I kind of felt like it was my job to make sure everybody was growing spiritually. And so, boy, I stressed out about it and tried to you know, make sure, oh, my goodness, they're not growing. And, 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 I, and, and my, understand, my desire is for everybody to grow. I want you to grow and be everything that God wants you to be. But you know what I learned fairly early on in pastoral ministry? I can't make anybody grow. I can't. Well, my job is, is to every weekend, to the best of my ability, is to seek God, to get a word from God, to show up here in this place, and to do my best as a human being with my limitations, to present God's word to you as clearly as I can, as accurately as I can. And I'm here to put the food on the table, all right? That's my job. And God helped me to understand that a number of years ago, that my job is to put the food on the table. And guess what? Some people choose to slip up to the table and eat. Other people don't even eat. They don't receive it. And the people that eat will grow, and those that refuse to eat will not grow. And here's the beautiful thing. If you're really growing, you're not just going to come to church on Sunday and eat at the table. You're going to wake up on Monday and say, let me get my Bible out. Let me read a little bit more here. I want to dig in, and I'm going to spend some time with God in prayer. And Tuesday, I'm going to do the same thing. And Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Oh, by the way, they've got a life group that I can be involved in where I can get involved with some, some people around me that will help me to grow. And Oh, yeah, they've got that class at the church that will help me in my marriage. I'm going to grow there. And so you start taking the proactive stance. See, the way most people live is at the either the complacency level or the passivity level of life. Let me tell you, when li- life will start turning around when you become proactive. When you said, I'm going to make something happen with my life. And let me tell you, God loves that. In fact, He says in His Word, if you'll, if you'll seek me, you'll be found by me. Call, call, come near to me and I will come near to you. He puts responsibility on our shoulders and says, what will you do with it? And so don't blame a lack of growth on your circumstance. Don't bl- blame a lack of growth on anybody else. If you're going to grow, how is it going to happen? You're going to accept. I'm going to accept the responsibility for that in my life and you in your life. Let's take a look, in fact, at what Jesus said. In fact, I'm not going to read it for you, but Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 21, also Luke chapter 13, the only points of rebuke that you see very clearly in Jesus' ministry, apart from times that he rebuked some of his disciples, were the times that he found fig trees that were supposed to have fruit on them, and they didn't have any fruit. They weren't growing. And what did he do? He rebuked them. And so that's the kind of mentality that Jesus has toward us. He wants us to grow. Number nine, Our level of joy and preparation for promotion are determined by the increase we bring to the responsibilities and opportunities we've currently been given. Let me say that again. Our level of joy and preparation for promotion are determined by something. What are they determined by? The increase we bring to the responsibilities and opportunities we've currently been given. Now, explain it this way. The guy got five, one got two, one got one. And so the first two that doubled what they'd been given, the Bible says the master said to them, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many things. Enter now into your master's happiness or your master's joy. What you need to see is this. When you become an increasing person, a growing person, 
When you begin to develop real faithfulness in your life, and faithfulness is not just by showing up, faithfulness is about growing up in your life. And so when you begin to demonstrate that in your life, let me tell you what will happen. Your joy will increase. You'll have more joy. Let's, you say, how, do you, how does that work? Here, here's the way it works. Let's say that you've got a marriage right now that's really suffering, and you make the decision. You know, that's just, this is one of my responsibilities. I'm going to start working on that thing. I'm going to become proactive, and I'm going to work on my marriage to make it better. So I'm going to take classes, whatever I need to do. I'm going to become a better husband, better wife. And let's say as you work on it, what you're going to see is that your marriage is going to improve. Why? Because you're managing the relationship. You're growing it. You're nurturing the marriage. Now, if your marriage got better than it is today, what would you have more of? Joy, correct? Okay. And the more your marriage improves because you manage it better, the more joy you have. Let's talk about money for a moment. Let's say you're in debt right now. You're struggling financially, but you make a decision today. You know what? I've got some financial issues, but I'm going to start working on those. I'm going to go to Financial Peace University. I'm going to start learning how to budget my money and manage myself well in that area. And it's not not a short-term solution. I'm going to work on this for a while. You start working on it. Let's say a year from now or two years from now, you begin to improve and your money management skills have increased and your debt situation is improve, what are you going to feel more of? Joy. Are you seeing that? Okay. See, the, the better manager you are, the more joy you have because better, man- listen closely, I'm giving you an important principle of life. The better you manage, the more margin you have. Management equals margin. Am I helping anybody today at all? Okay. Good management brings Bill's margin. Let's talk to students here for a moment. Let's say as a student right now, you're struggling in one of the subjects. You're getting D's in that subject. But you make a decision today. You know, this, I'm, I'm a student. I need to do better than this. I'm going to start studying. I'm going to get a tutor if I need to. I'm going to ask the teacher to help me. And if you work really hard and now you've got a D and you work it up to a C, what are you going to feel? And the C becomes a B, what are you going to feel? And the B becomes an A, what are you going to do? Have a heart attack, right? So, <laughs> Your parents will have a heart attack, right? Are you seeing the principle here? So when you manage, when you pour in, the end result is joy. Something else that's a result of that is promotion. How do you become a promotable person? So you have be able to have more opportunity in life. So the way you get more opportunity is by doing more with what you have right now. By doing, what, doing everything you can with what you have right now is where more comes. The Bible says that, that the master said to, this, to these, these first two, You've been faithful with a little bit. Now I'm going to give you more. And in fact, what he did, interestingly enough, is when he gets to the last guy with one, he says, take that one away from the guy that has that one and give it to the guy over here who has, who has ten because that guy knows what to do with things, okay? He knows how to handle stuff. Last point. Here we go. This is number ten. Got to wrap up very quickly. The productivity of the servants was affected and determined by their perspective and opinion of the master. Let that sink in. The productivity of the servants was affected and determined by their perspective and opinion of the master. Here's what's going on. The last guy, when the the master said, what did you do with the one I gave you? Do you remember what he said? I knew you were a hard guy to please. I mean, nobody can ever make you happy anyway. So I just, I was afraid of you, so I just went and hid it away. So here it is. Have it back. 
What drove this guy into fear was that he had the wrong perspective of the master. Was the master really an evil, hard man? No. Actually, that master was a good guy. Did you see what he did with the first two fellows that handled their responsibility well? He blessed them. He gave them more. He gave them joy. He honored their life. So the guy, the last guy, was the guy that was messed up. It was not a matter of the master. It was a matter of what was in the guy's mind. See, you get the wrong stuff in your mind, it'll mess you up with your master, Jesus. If you don't think right about him, you're not going to think right about your life. See, if you believe that God is not, not, a, not a very good God, that you believe somehow that he's after you, that you can never please him, then I'll tell you how you live your life. You'll live your life in fear. You'll always live your life holding back and pulling back. But if you know and believe that God is a good God, if you know and believe that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, if you know and believe that you're more than an overcomer in Jesus Christ, if you know and believe that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, if you know and believe that God didn't give me a spirit of fear, but God gave me a spirit of power and love and of a sound mind, and I know that my God is good, and my God is a God who desires to bless and favor and open up doors and open up opportunities and pour back on me as I pour out to Him. If you begin to believe that God is a God like that, let me tell you what you'll do. You'll get out every day with your five talents. You'll say, what can I do today to make a difference for my master? How can I invest myself today to advance His kingdom? How can I make a difference for my life? Because I want to give back to the one who's given to me because I'm serving a good God. So if I could challenge you with anything today, I would challenge you with this. Make sure you know the God you're serving and know that he's good, know that he loves you, know that he's for you and he's not against you, know that he's paving a way for your victory. He's paving a way for your success. He's gone before you. He's before you. He's behind you. The Bible says you can't get away from him. That's the God that you serve. And so when you begin to see him like that, you suddenly say, oh, wow. Now I can have some faith and a good God because the root of faithfulness is faith. When you've got faith, faith produces faithfulness in your life. Amen? So grab your piece of paper. Everybody get your piece of paper out. Remember the master gave one five, one, 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 five, one two on one, right? This is what you've been given. Here are your opportunities and responsibilities right now. Whatever's on this piece of paper. And what I want to do right now is ask you to take them between your two hands, if you will, because we're going to ask God. How many want to increase in, in blessing in those areas that you've written down? Amen? You want to increase in blessing, do you, on those areas? Okay. Let's ask God right now to help us to be faithful. Because if we'll be faithful with what he's given us, and this is what he's given you right now. If you'll be faithful with what he's given you right now, then you will be promotable and you'll enter into greater joy for your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for giving us gifts from above. And thank you for the responsibilities that you've given us and the opportunities you've given us. Lord, that we've written down on this piece of paper and others that maybe we didn't have time to record. And Father, I'm praying for each one of us today that you will make us people of increase. Help us, Lord, to find ways to manage our lives in ways that will bring about multiplication and growth for your glory and for your honor, Lord, because it really isn't about you. We're simply stewards of what you've given us. We're going to bring it all back to you for your honor. In Jesus' name.
Hi, I'm Pastor Dale O'Shields. I want to thank you for listening to our broadcast of Practical Living. I trust it was a blessing to you, and I trust that you're growing in your spiritual journey. Or perhaps you've never even started your spiritual journey, and today this is your opportunity to make a decision to move forward, getting to know Jesus Christ, letting Him have control of your life. See, the Bible says of Jesus that He stands at the door and knocks, and if anyone will hear His voice, you can open that door and let Him in. And if you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, today is the day that you need to do it. In fact, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. If you'll pray this prayer sincerely with all your heart, mean it with all your heart, Jesus Christ will come into your life. Repeat this prayer after me. Say these words. Say, Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I'm sorry for all the things I've done wrong in my life. I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior of the world, that you died for me and rose again. Just simply tell Jesus, I believe in you. Now open up your heart and say, Jesus, come into my life. By faith, I receive you as my Savior, my Lord, in Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me just then, sincerely, I want you to know something. Jesus heard it, and He saved you. You're a new creation in Christ. You get a brand new start in your journey with God. But now you have to grow. You have to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus every day. And so we want to help you get started. And we have some resources available on our website that will do so called New Beginnings. So check them out. And again, I want to thank you for being a part of today's broadcast. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash newbeginnings.